Welcome back to RJ Bell's Dream Preview European Soccer Betting Edition Volume 3. Coming off a double best bet winner, Brighton. Very happy with that. Early returns are good. A famous win, 2-1 at the Field of Dreams at Old Trafford. Brighton gets it done. Griffin, you spearheaded that pick. Uh, what do you think of the game? Any major takeaways from Premier League Week 1? Before we get into uh, a little bit of La Liga action, before previewing the game of the weekend, Tottenham-Chelsea, and then uh, obviously best bets at the end of the show. Yeah, you know, it was a big weekend. Um, not too much of a surprise. Besides, I think Fulham getting a draw to Liverpool was uh, not a great start for the Reds, unfortunately, after the, seeing Man City win this weekend. Obviously, biggest surprise of the weekend was a winner that I had on Bournemouth winning 2-0 at home uh, against Aston Villa. Pretty big step in the right direction for a newly promoted side um ultimately big concern still about everton who i had picked as a best bet uh for the futures episode i was a team that might be in the relegation picture um didn't really see much from them i gotta say and then uh nottingham four is probably the biggest disappointment of the weekend spent a ton of money on players that aren't even really starting in their lineups they're still spending money this week still got a lot of time to go left in the transfer market and uh I got to say, it's going to be a long road. Uh, we've got 37 more match days to go in England, and uh, I can't say I'm more excited for, for anything than this. Awesome. Me neither. I've actually like kind of surprised myself with how like childlike and, and giddy I have been. I stayed up till 6 a.m. to watch Brighton because I really the line started moving in our direction, and I really just was excited that that was going to cash for us. Uh, you mentioned Bournemouth. Uh, I did a little ATS margin chart, and this is probably unfamiliar to a lot of European soccer betting, but it's a pretty simple concept. Take the Asian handicap, which is to the quarter goal, how exactly many goals are you expected to win by, and then look at your actual goal differential, and then presto, ATS margin. Well, Bournemouth was number one. They were a half-goal dog, and they won by two goals, two and a half goals to the good. Number two, Brighton. They were a one-goal dog. And they won by one goal, so that's a two ATS margin. However, if you even take it a step further, and if you look at expected goal differential, a great stat, uh, understats.com has this. And then you look at the ATS margin. How much were you supposed to win by? And then what was the expected result? Nobody was better than Brighton. Again, they were expected to lose by a goal to United at Old Trafford. If you look at the expected goals, not all oh, they got lucky if you know things flicked their way. Expected goal differential. They were actually expected to win that game by about a half goal. So the expected ATS margin was almost a goal and a half. That's the way to get out the gates. We were literally the number one team by that metric in the Premier League, and we made it a double best bet. So, yeah, I was a little happy about that. Can't lie. But this is a betting show, not a gloating show. So let's get on to the La Liga. Starts Friday. Uh, listening to this probably Friday morning. Obviously, there are two big teams that come every year to the party, and we're going to go by DraftKings odds. Real Madrid, plus 120. Barcelona, plus 120. Let's start right there before we get on to some sleepers, some underdogs, teams that are bubbling up. The big two, what do you make of uh, their chances? Obviously, the big addition, much like Alain in the Premier League, Lewandowski comes to Camp Nou, comes to Barcelona. I don't know how they afford it. We'll get into that. But uh, do you have a strong take on who is going to win La Liga between, obviously, the big two, both about 50-50 in the odds? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised to see Barcelona coming down to being equal to Real Madrid, um, be, especially because, as you alluded to, their financial situation. 
they're already struggling to register players. La Liga has a specific rule where I think you just for every dollar you bring in, you have to recoup four of them, especially in Barcelona's financial situation. That's why Messi ended up leaving for uh, Paris because they couldn't register him, even though he was a free transfer. Technically, he had to sign a new contract. He was still a Barcelona player. Uh, but registering the new players has been really complicated, uh, especially complicated when Frank Cassier coming over from uh, Serie A champion AC Milan uh, was a free transfer, had exhausted his contract in Milan, but hasn't, as far as I know, been registered. And there's a long laundry list of players that have not been officially added to the Barcelona the roster. And the season starts uh, today, so I'm not really sure what to expect um, with Barcelona. It makes it really hard to, to pick a season-long winner. I think based on the matchup that they had earlier this season, they played a friendly in Las Vegas at the giant Roomba, probably right down the street from where you are sitting today, Mackenzie. Um, and I got to say, it was a pretty dominant effort by Barcelona. They also won handily uh, the last Clasico of the season. Um, so I think it's looking better for Barcelona at this point. Real Madrid had an incredible run last year, winning La Liga, winning the Champions League, despite being literally about seconds away from their own death in at least two rounds uh, and getting outplayed in the championship as well. Um, but ultimately, I think if anything, I lean towards Barcelona. It's just too hard to call right now because I don't know how long it's going to take to get these guys registered. They start out with a pretty easy match against Rayo Vallecano, but ultimately it's, it's a big question mark for me. And so I don't know who to pick of these two because I think based on if the full roster is available to Barcelona, I think I would lean their way, though they were um, the second most likely to win based on odds until recently. So I think the market's starting to agree that Barcelona look a lot stronger. Uh, but it's also hard to doubt Real Madrid because they are uh, the Blancos. They are the history. They are the strong team that seems to win uh, and come back from the dead. I'll take Barcelona financial uncertainty for 200. Uh, one of the players you mentioned, I think, in the last episode was Frankie de Jong, their midfielder, defensive midfielder. is pretty flexible. Uh, it is expected, or at least it was expected, that he was going to United as of last week. Now his agents were in Barcelona recently. There's a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, we talked about United probably moving on from Ronaldo if they can. What do you think uh, De Jong's future holds? Do you think Barcelona wants to keep him? Or is it a situation where they can't? Uh, what do you think of De Jong's future? Uh, so Frankie De Jong is, is a great player and is, I think, more of an attacking midfielder. But pretty much in any type of situation, Barcelona is putting as many attackers on the pitch as they can. Um, I think they want to keep him as much as they can, but financially, I think he is a huge sales target because Manchester United wanted them, as you mentioned, plus Chelsea, I think is also going to come in last minute because I feel like they haven't done enough business yet. Um, and they just like taking anyone, any other big club in England that is onto somebody, Chelsea all of a sudden pops up at the end, just like they bought Marco Correa, um, from Brighton. Speaking of, uh, that great team that treated us so well last weekend. Um, but I, I think they want to keep him. I feel like he's probably going to move because they are going to need to find – there are no more level levers to pull uh, for the Barcelona financial situation. And I think that's a big one they can get 85 million euros or something like that for, and that will give them a lot of opportunity to, to register a bunch more guys. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, let me clear something up. I've played enough FIFA to know Dijong is not a defensive midfielder per se. However, when you play a bunch of midfielders like Barcelona does, his defensive abilities kind of makes him – you know, a unicorn, Conte level, I can play two positions at once kind of figure. He reminds me of my favorite player, who they probably brought in thinking of, Andres Iniesta back in the day, who started out in youth as a defensive midfielder, became probably the greatest regular midfielder, if anything, an attacking midfielder of all time. 
I have here the list of wages and teams in La Liga. And it's we talked about Premier League being stacked in the top six favor. It's not even close to La Liga. So I added up Real Madrid and Barcelona, and I added up everybody else, starting with Atletico's number three, Sevilla, Villarreal, in terms of total dollars outlined in this season. Which one do you think was more? Uh, despite the finances, I'll say Barcelona. No, no, you misunderstood my question. Barcelona and Real Madrid added up all their money together. I mean, all their uh, expenditures together. All the other 18 teams in La Liga added up all together. Which one do you think is more? Got it. I'm going to say the top two. It's very close, but no, actually, the all the other 18 teams together slightly edged them to get slightly edged them 570 million for the big two 700 million for all the other 18 teams together (laughs) however a big chunk of that about a third of that is atletico at 160 so if you take that out top three by far by far put a shadow on the other 17 teams so that's what we're dealing with and that's why the odds are so stark we talked about the big two real madrid barcelona real madrid did kind of have a rabbit foot somewhere up its butt Last year, it was pretty amazing that they actually won yet again the Champions League with, despite having a probably historically weaker team. Vinicius Jr. showed some improvements. Uh, he's one of the bigger uh, upgrades of the season, probably from one year to another. Atletico Madrid is third, seven to one. Sevilla twenty-five to one. Villarreal thirty-five to one. Any chance in hell that, like Atletico, Atletico Madrid did two years ago? an upset of the century, one of the big two not winning La Liga. Any long shots you see any value with in La Liga? Um, I mean, I think there are, are maybe some some long shots in individual matches because none of these teams aren't going to go undefeated. I just don't see Atleti as a, a serious contender to challenge these first two. Yes, they did win the championship two seasons ago, uh, but I feel like that was uh, a lot of good fortune and it was a little bit weirder coming off the pandemic or I guess we're still in it. So this thing will never go away. But I feel like that was a, a very uh, wide range of outcomes type of season that was far in the tails of the distribution. Uh, and I just don't see the talent in Atleti. I feel like they've tried to grow into a more offensive minded team, which is not really who they are. It's not who their manager, Diego Simeone, is. And I think it's just going to be one of those things they're fighting against themselves for a long time because they are trying to do one thing with a different type of style or setup of, of team or roster, and I just don't think it'll work. You mentioned Diego Simeone, the talisman coach of Atletico. I want to ask you, and I heard a, 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 a British show talking about this, what do you make of the arc of his stay at Atletico Madrid? This is going to be year 11. He obviously has taken them, winning La Liga, Champions League's finals, places that they've never been before. Do you think they still have that... Uh, that vision, that that driven passion, and do you think Simeone stays at Atletico uh, long term, or you know, obviously a lot of international teams would like his services. What do you make of the arc of Atletico Madrid? Are they uh, at a nadir, or do you think this thing keeps going and they can still build from this? I don't think they're at a nadir. Um, I think that I mean, I went to an Atleti match last season against Liverpool in the Champions League. Uh, Simeone is still a god amongst uh, that fan base. And I think everyone identifies with him. He plays for the crowd, uh, basically raises the roof and gets them into it and especially gets them on the officials while he's uh, on the touchline. And I think he's going to be there for a really long time. I felt like they had a pretty disappointing season last year and there were no real talks about him 
being replaced that I thought were anything close to serious. So uh, I think he's an Atletico de Madrid man. I think he will be there as long as they'll have him. And I think he'll be there for a long time. His son's in the youth team uh, or trying to get make his way into the senior side. And I feel like he's there for a long time because he is Atletico Madrid. It's a LeBron situation. I'm, I'm trying to stay out here till Bronny gets up and plays alongside me. All right. Well, I didn't think I don't definitely don't think a guy like that is going to be is going to be shown the door or even encouraged to leave. But whether or not he sees greener pastures, I'm I'm just curious about. I mean, we see Conte leave every two years and win a different Scudetto, win a win the La Liga trophy, win a, probably Premier League this year. We'll see. Talking about Chelsea and Tottenham coming up. Uh, but first, let's finish off La Liga. Uh, I heard on your podcast, betting the pitch. Check it out. Uh, Griffin goes deep into a lot of these, uh, a lot of these same issues, a lot of these same teams. He just did a La Liga Serie A preview that I heard. What do you make of Sevilla? I know you're you're bullish on them compared to the market. Uh, they're twenty five to one. You can also bet them on the. Let's just take the big two out of the situation uh, because they're obviously probably going to finish one two. On those odds, you can find them on DraftKings. Atletico's minus one fifty. Sevilla's four to one. Villarreal seven to one. Do you see any value there? And uh, do you see what do you make of Sevilla's chances in general? Uh, I would say last year I was far more bullish about Sevilla than I am today. Um, I feel like they've done a lot of sales in the transfer market um, and moved on a lot of players that were really important to their side. Basically, their whole center de- central defense is gone. Jules Koundé uh, to Barcelona, uh, assuming that uh, transfer actually works works out. Uh, but also Diego Carlos to Aston Villa. Um, and they have lost a lot of bodies, essentially, that were important to them. They came off a really good start to the year last year, but I think that was because the other teams ch- uh, chasing Real Madrid were so poor, and that kind of left Sevilla as the only true contender. and had a lot of late victories and kind of really fortunate wins at that, um, and then really kind of struggled towards the end of the season. There were rumors that their longtime manager, Julian Lopetegui, was going to be leaving. He's, as far as I know, still in the, in the job, but I feel like that might be a, uh, a tightrope for a little while. Um, and I feel like they, they lost a lot. They haven't really replaced it. They're, they're known for kind of seeing um, really good talent out in the market. They did some, some business last year, bringing in Jesus Corona or Tecatito, as he's known, uh, a Mexican uh, forward. And, and so he's important. Lucas Ocampos, an Argentinian, is also really talented, as well as picking up the scraps of Papu Gomez once he fell out with uh, the manager at Atalanta and became a very, very... Uh, very smart buy, I think, for the team. But ultimately, they haven't scored a lot of goals. They had trouble with that last season, especially towards the end, um, but really throughout. And I feel like they're a side that just don't really have the uh, the oomph or the talent, really, to fight. They are in Champions League, so that's going to zap their legs quite a bit. It's amazing to me how much the midweek matches take out of these big clubs that are outspending their rivals by significant amounts. Uh, and, and as you mentioned earlier, I mean, you might see the 17th most highly valued team in La Liga coming at Sevilla. But if Sevilla played midweek, a tough match at Borussia Dortmund, they're going to be in a tough position with their legs. And that's something certainly I'll be looking forward uh, to going against this season a little bit more than I did in the last season. But no, not bullish on Sevilla's chances this year. I think if anything, I'm more interested in Villarreal. I see. I I, I picked up on your your love for them last year. Uh, Sevilla, by the way, you mentioned 90 million euros spent on their payroll. 17th team this year's Almeria 10 million. So they're outspending them nine to one. That's more than 
Madrid is outspending Sevilla, you know, three to one, three and a half to one. So it's, it's a bigger gap than even that. Uh, Sevilla, by the way, is fifth in, or fourth in the odds, 25 to one. Villarreal, 35 to one. If you want to just take out the top two, because come on, they have outspent everybody by a lot. In the without Barcelona and Real Madrid odds, you can get Villarreal at seven to one, uh, Sevilla four to one. So, do you think seven to one? Do you think there's a chance that at the end of the year it's going to be Villarreal ahead of Atletico and Sevilla at the end of the year? It's a big step for Villarreal. I got to say they were uh, they won the Europa League two seasons ago, which got them into Champions League. And I think once results didn't really go in their favor last season. Uh, they kind of put all their eggs into the Champions League basket. I mean, they knocked out Bayern München. They did a lot to kind of get to where they got. Um, and I think that this year, now that they don't have Europe as a distraction, I know that affects their uh, wages and their ability to pay players. But they kind of kept their squad together more than I think anybody would have expected. Uh, they should get a much healthier Gerard Moreno, who played uh, in the Euro tournament last summer and then was really not healthy for the whole season. They made a really good buy of Arnaud Donjuma from Bournemouth. Uh, in the championship division last season before they moved up to the uh, Premier League in England. And I feel like they did a lot of business. Plus, they have Unai Emery, who is a genius defensively. I think their biggest question is, can they score enough goals to get wins against the lower teams in the league? They struggled with that for a lot of last season, but I think it's because they were more focused on the Champions League run. Um, and you can say that that was a good idea or it wasn't. I'm sure that they, each each round that they got further and further in the competition, they got paid a fair amount more. Uh, but I do think that uh, it probably would have been a better idea to uh, take the league a little more seriously. And that's all they got this year. So I like their chances. Uh, I think I'm going to be looking at them as a team that will finish in the Champions League spot because uh, I do think that there's a lot of weakness. There's the big questions about Barcelona's ability to pay their players or do anything financially. Atleti are not the same team that they were two seasons ago. And Sevilla have done a lot of sales. Uh, so I feel like it's a really great, great time for Villarreal. And the Champions League spot in La Liga is the top four teams. You get Villarreal at plus 250. They're the fifth favorite. So they got to hop either Sevilla or Atletico conceivably to be in that top four, unless, you know, there's a disaster season from one of the big two. But realistically, plus 250, I, I, I don't mind that. Uh, all right. It's funny, when we're doing these La Liga previews, and I've, I've watched a bunch. Uh, well, first of all, let me go back for a second. You mentioned Brian Munchen. I was listening to your podcast, and I think Sevilla – uh, was doing a deal with a certain German team that I got a kick of. Uh, why don't you tell them, uh, tell the people about the deal and pronounce one of the great European soccer names uh, in history? Oh my gosh! I mean, set me up for failure here. But uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's it's a tough thing to do. But I I've, I feel like I've grown in my own podcast. Thank you for shouting out earlier, betting the pitch. I, I'm trying my best to uh, pronounce everyone's name as they would want to be pronounced. Um, but yeah, that's honorable, by the way, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I try to be an honorable guy, uh, as, as often as possible. Um, who knows what happens late at night, but for now, <laughs> um, I, I don't know actually which player you're referring to as we speak. Well, I'll tell you the team. Okay. The team was Borussia. Oh, then, oh. Start, then there's an M. Then uh, there's Borussia an Mönchengladbach. Yes. Exactly. Uh, a combination of two towns that have basically merged into a football club. Yes. Um, I'm actually going to Germany in September, so I'm going to be working on trying to get as much of that as real as possible. But I've done shout out Derek Ray, a uh, great commentator, famous from FIFA video games all over the place. He's uh, very serious about pronouncing names right. So I, I usually go with whatever he says. And Borussia Mönchengladbach is 
uh, a tongue twister to say the least, and uh, a very long name to type out if you're uh, trying to save your characters on Twitter. I thought you were going to say you were going to go there and try to convince them to change their name to something else, like BMC or something. <laughs> like, all right, I'm an eighth German, so I can say this. That's okay. too many yeah. syllables. That's just too many syllables for any proper noun. When you have to take a breath and a sip of water in between the, the middle and the end of the word, I mean, this is not anti-disestablishmentarianism. We're not on the playground saying, look at the, how many words I can say in a row. All right. That's my uh, linguistic tirade for the day. Talking about previews, La Liga preview, it's kind of hard to do the middle of the table because what odds really apply to them? Uh, so going down the expected table, Sociedad is 65 to 1, Real Sociedad. Real Betis, 100 to 1. And then it just goes off a cliff from there. So the odds to be relegated, and uh, I've spent hours perfecting these pronunciations, slash, you just told me what they were a second ago. Girona, plus 140. Valladolid, plus 150. Elche, plus 150. Cadiz, plus 175. Vallecano, 2 to 1. And Mallorca, 2 to 1. So a, a bunch of teams really. Almeria plus 275, Getafe 3 to 1. I'm surprised that there's no favorite, but there's that many teams with like, you know, 35, 40% chances to go down. It seems like there might be some opportunities here if you can identify one uh, with particular problems. Uh, have you identified such a team, or do you think there's any, any value here on any of these odds to be relegated plays? Well, I think part of the reason why these numbers are, uh, as you described, so all over the place is because. Two teams went down last season that I think most people thought would potentially have a good year. Uh, Levante, a Valencian club um, who had finished or made the semifinals of the Copa del Rey, big, big club tournament, or excuse me, cup tournament in Spain. Uh, and they went down after having really, I think it was like almost like 18 months or something like that. They had a really long stretch, 18 matches maybe is more accurate, where they didn't win a match. And essentially you have to stack up wins in order to get enough points to survive. And that's the hard thing for a lot of these these smaller clubs is that they they can hang in games, but they just can't win them. And draws don't go far enough. So you also see towards the end of games, teams going all out for three points if they're tied 1-1 with five minutes to go, which sometimes ends up biting you in the hand, unfortunately, that you're trying to get fed with because you end up going and overexerting yourself forward and then concede on the back end. Um, I haven't really identified anyone that I would expect to be a relegation threatened team besides, I mean, maybe a little outside what you said with Osasuna, they're four to one to get relegated. Uh, as I've seen, as we speak, uh, I think their offense is really, really bad last year. And I don't know that they've done a lot to change that. Uh, Rio Vallecano also were in the European places over the first half of the season uh, and fell like a rock towards the second half. And I think a lot of it was because they started the year hosting a lot of the bottom of La Liga it just happened to be their schedule kind of worked out that way. And got a lot of points, got a lot of wins, and then were awful on the road and really struggled in the second half. So those are two clubs that I would look at as very relegation-threatened this season, especially uh, Viacano, I think, is going to be one of those teams that's going to really struggle, uh, as they weren't really expected to survive last season either. And Osasuna, one of those threatened teams, opens up today, recording on early Friday morning uh, against Sevilla as La Liga kicks off. And Viacayon, Barcelona is minus 500 Hosting Viacayon. Viacayon, if you think they can beat Barcelona in Camp Nou, 11 to 1, you can get. All right. Well, we talked some La Liga. And uh, to be honest, to pull back the curtain, I've spent most of my time getting up on the Premier League. So let's transition back to that. Um, this will be my best bet in this game coming up. 
biggest game of the weekend. A lot of people, a lot of pundits I've been here have been saying this is too big a game to play so early in the schedule on match day two of the Premier League. Tottenham is at Stamford Bridge. They're facing Chelsea. The two London sides clash. Uh, it's about a quarter goal that Chelsea's favored by. It's pretty much home field advantage, a little bit less actually. Over the weekend, I was downloading some uh, some soccer betting databases they have to figure out home court advantage, you know, some certain trends that I was looking at. I was surprised to see Chelsea's only a quarter goal favorite hosting Tottenham. What do you make of the matchup? Uh, how do you think the big signings over the year, like Richarlson, Raheem Sterling for Chelsea, how do you think they might factor in? And um, do you agree? Do you think this is too big of a matchup to have so early in the season? Uh, no, I'm happy to see as many great matches as we can. Um, ultimately, it would be a really tough thing if we saw Liverpool and Man City week one, but ultimately we just saw it in the Community Shield. And I'm, I'm all for big games. It's clearly the biggest one of the weekend. Uh, and, and based on the number, I feel like it is a home field advantage type of number given to Chelsea. And I think there's a lot of value in Tottenham getting that quarter because uh, a draw wins you half the bet. I figured you might. I figured you might. Um, so here's some context for you. Last year, Chelsea played Tottenham twice. They won one game 2-0. They won one game 3-0. When they were home, they were minus 190 favorites. When they were on the road, they were minus 140 favorites. Okay, midseason, Tottenham adds Conte. They go on this run and fourth in the league. However, let's take it back a little bit further. The last 11 times they've played, Chelsea's won nine of them. They've drawn one. They've lost one. There's been this massive shift from Chelsea being minus 190 favorites to on the three-way line to now being plus 130 favorites. Every pundit that I pull up, ESPN FC, uh, Sky Sports, everyone's talking about, oh man, Chelsea's going to be stuck in possession. They're going to be hit on the counterattack. This is the moment. This is the moment Tottenham strikes. I think the train has gotten a little bit ahead of the tracks. So that's my case. I'll get into it more in a second, but I'll give you a chance to rebut. Why do, why do you think it's proper, and, and you, not even proper, but not even enough of an adjustment to go from minus 190 favorites last year in January to now only plus 130, uh, pretty much even even teams? How do you, how has Tottenham made up this gap, in your opinion? Uh, I think it's certainly a lot about sentiment, but um, t- in my humble opinion, it's because the rosters have changed significantly. Tottenham have done a ton to add to their roster. I'm not sure exactly when those matches against Chelsea were played last season. I don't have it directly in front of me, but um, Nuno Espirito Santo was a very different team that he was managing than what Conte put into place. And now Conte has a lot of the tools in his toolbox that he was looking for that that Nuno simply didn't have last season. Uh, I think the sentiment has changed and that matters a lot based on momentum and things of that nature. Maybe not so much in the X's and O's, but I think it does mean that we have a better manager, a better roster for Tottenham. And I think people have a lot more faith in, in what they are and what they can be versus Chelsea who have had a lot of financial problems. They had their owner get sanctioned and basically forced to sell the club because of his Russian connections. Um, and that's been a big, big problem for them. Uh, they haven't really had the transfer window that anyone would have expected to with their deep pockets from the last few seasons. And I feel like they have big questions about their offense. So making them a favorite of any type is a hard thing to, to put out there considering what Tottenham have done in the transfer window and what they've done to bolster their roster. Some fair points. I will say this. 
Tottenham gets a lot of credit for signing uh, Richarlson. But a couple of things about their week one matchup. They won 4-1 to one against Southampton. None of the six big signings from Tottenham suited up. They were all on the bench, and uh, they might have had seen some action. So do you think they play, and do you think they, they start now? Or could or do you think this is too big of a matchup they have to go with the tried-and-true uh, 11 from before? I mean, it's a, it's a good question because um, there was some, I guess, a press conference that, that Antonio Conte put out there and said that the player's going to have to earn their spots, which maybe is more of a long-term play. It also might be that they're starting with Southampton, who are not really a worthy adversary, despite Southampton taking a 1-0 lead on a beautiful goal by James Ward-Prowse. I think it's just a scenario where Tottenham have no spots that are guaranteed to anyone besides maybe Son and Kane, but they were there before and have been there a long time. So I think it's a an effort to try to force um, their players to work hard in training and try to fight their way into a side that's going to be very strong. Uh, some potential injury concerns and age concerns with Perisic, for instance, coming in, who I thought would start, but uh, eventually came off the bench. And I feel like it's a team that's now a lot more deep than they, they were before, a lot deeper, and they're going to do a lot to build a cohesive kind of unit and essentially be plug and play. Whoever needs a rest, can, can they can pull up someone off the bench and, and not lose any type of steam. So they can be City pretty much. You mentioned Perisic. Hot take. 2018 World Cup, Perisic was the golden ball winner. I don't care what anybody says. Luka Modric, great player, all-time great midfielder. That series, or sorry, that World Cup, Perisic was just a better player. He came up with way more goals in big moments, way more assists in big goal and assists in big moments. That was a, that was a fan vote in my opinion. And uh, either either him or Griezmann. Modric was like third or fourth on my on my golden ball list. But anyway, that hot take aside. Another thing about that Tottenham performance, 4-1, that I got some credit for, they were pretty lucky. I mean, there was an own goal that was probably as bad of an own goal as you'll see. Like, he just, like, fired it into the back of the goal with no real pressure, the defender did. And they went 4-1. They got some deflections. If you look at expected goal differential, they were about 1.2 to the good, which is good, you know, home win. Chelsea, they got some uh, demerits for their performance. They scored one goal on a penalty, Jorginho extends his record of only scoring penalties. I think it's an all-time record. Sterling didn't get on the store sheet. They're big signing. They win 1-0. They beat Everton on the road. However, not only was it on the road and thus more impressive in that way, they were only expected to win by a half goal. Tottenham was supposed to win by a goal and a half. If you look at the expected goal differential from Understat again, Chelsea was plus 1.4. They actually did better in the pass-per-fast, dribble-per-dribble, uh, expectation of how they should have done than Tottenham. Yet all the pundits I heard were against Chelsea and saying how they, you know, lacked inspiration. And everybody was saying this is example of the counter strike genius Tottenham four one when they really won like one to zero and they got lucky or maybe two to zero Tottenham on the score sheet. I think the ex- exact expected goal was two point oh eight goals and point four eight goals expected. So it was like two and a half, two to a half. It wasn't. It was exactly almost what you would expect from the Vegas spread, which was they were supposed to win by a goal and a half. So I like Chelsea minus 165 on the draw, no bet side of the equation. Uh, so in this situation, if it's a draw, you get your money back. It's a push. It's pretty much betting on the pick them. Minus 165 that they do win. By the way, if you wanted Tottenham, that would be plus 130. So the last, again, again the last 11 times they've played, Tottenham have beaten them one time. I like a minus 165 situation when that's the case. Moreover, 
I'm not sure how these new pieces, if Perisic plays, how they fit in. Chelsea is adding one piece, and it's a very plug-and-play plug and play piece in Raheem Sterling. And I looked up Chelsea's entire history. They have a famous home field advantage at Stamford Bridge, at least the last 10 years. And I said, how many times were they not minus money favorites at home? It was very few. In fact, only three times were they bigger or they were smaller favorites at home than in this situation if you take out Man City and Liverpool games. Obviously, I mean, not obviously, but those games are, there's a bunch of those games. Those, those have been the two Premier League teams, Premier Premier League teams of the last 10 years. But if you take those games out, only three other times have they been smaller underdogs than this occasion. I think this is the hype train going over the tracks. And by the way, if you look at those situations where Chelsea's not a minus money favorite and they're not basing Man City or Liverpool, they have five draws, six wins, and one loss. Very rarely do they drop this occasion when they're facing a team that they're up for. They're not a minus money favorite, but they're at home at Stamford Bridge. Last 10 years, again, the last five years, they've been dominating this matchup, only lost once to Tottenham. Hype train a little off the tracks in my opinion, so I'm going to make my best bet. No draw, minus 165, Chelsea. Uh, Obviously, you started this conversation saying that there was some value on Tottenham, so you disagree, and that's all right. But uh, what do you make of my handicap, and um, why am I wrong? Uh, I'm not going to call you wrong. I'm not going to say it out loud. I think there's uh, your Chelsea pick-em play, I think, can certainly come through. Uh, I think it's wise to, because there's so many draws in this sport and there's no overtime to bail out a favorite. I think that it's a, a good idea to potentially look at those numbers or the juice does get a little bit high. I think from where I sit, if you're back in Chelsea here, you are buying low and potentially fading that hype train, as you mentioned, uh, and backing a big crowd that'll be all in Tottenham's face for uh, 90 minutes or however many minutes are end up getting played. So 100 minutes, potentially. I think you're you're probably on the right track by, by backing a Chelsea team that not a lot of people think highly of at the moment. Um, I don't necessarily agree because I think that the changes in the squads have been significant and I just have big questions about Chelsea scoring. Uh, but the pick'em is a lot very, it's a lot different than a, a plus quarter uh, that I'd probably be looking at on, on Tottenham. So it's possible that we could both uh, play this game and one of us could work out a little bit of profit and the other one could, could be, uh, could be even. That sounds like professional bettership to me where you're looking for those small edges. There's a very good chance this does end a tie, and in which case you would have a little bit of profit, and I would walk away with my head held high, being 1-0-1 in my best bets, in which case uh, your record would be determined by this next pick that you make because you are 1-0 in your best bets. That was our double best bet winner on Brighton. Killed Manchester United, not even close, but let's make it 2-0 for you. What is your best bet for this weekend? Uh, Opening up the landscape, you can go England, Germany, France, Norway, I think we'll limit it to Europe. This is the European Soccer Betting Podcast, but what is your best bet for this weekend? Uh, Well, don't worry. I'm not going as deep into Europe. Uh, Maybe a little bit deeper than our podcast has touched on so far, but I'm going to take Stade René, or Ren, R-E-N-N-E-S, a French club who are in the Europa League this season. They've yet to play in Europe. They're coming off a pretty disappointing performance in week one, but they are visiting Monaco. Monaco is currently a quarter goal favorite. I'm going to take Ren plus one quarter. Uh, Monaco had to play midweek in uh, in Holland uh, in a Champions League qualifier that went to extra time. Uh, they have a very deep squad, but that's still a big, big question mark on their legs as they've now, this would be their fourth match when they play on Saturday morning 
against Ren. This will be their fourth match, while Ren will have played a second competitive match so far. So big legs advantage. I think Ren are very disappointed with a 1-0 loss at home last weekend. A new signing had an, a really tough own goal, and they just really struggled against a, a, a defense that was sitting in for 90 minutes. They just couldn't break it down enough. I think they won't have as many problems this time with a Monaco side that believes that they are the better side and will be pushing up the up the pitch, trying to score goals. And I'll leave a ton of room for Wren, who are lethal on counterattacks and really are a much better offensive team than they looked last weekend. So I will take Wren plus one quarter at Monaco, facing a pretty lame, quiet crowd that I think is more interested in the Grand Prix than anything going on in the pitch. So I will take Wren plus one quarter, where a draw one you have to bet, but I think they might win. Do you think Monaco suffers from the San Diego, Los Angeles? Like, how good of a home court advantage? How riled up can you be in a place like Monaco? You think that's what's going on? Uh, I imagine there's the same amount of champagne there as there are in other places, but I feel like the crowd might have a little bit. They have a few more commas in their bank account than most of us, so <laughs> that might affect how much hooliganism or ultraism or whatever is going on and whatever phrase I should use. So I feel like it's not as tough an environment as you'll find throughout the rest of Europe. I, I would venture that there's more champagne per square mile in Monaco than most places in the world. Maybe there's a couple, uh, maybe Vegas is, is it rivals it, but it's got to be up there. And uh, I just pulled up some pictures. I want to go. I'm going to want to go and check it out. But uh, maybe I can use some of this winnings on uh, Monaco losing and Ren winning, or at least covering the quarter goal, uh, to help me on my path to get to going there every now and then when we feel like it. You can check out pregame.com and use this coupon code KICK10 for $10 off anything at the site. Check out Griffin Warner's baseball stuff. NFL preseason is just around the corner. Some winners for us on the site yesterday with the Ravens and the Titans, Giants, Patriots. More of that coming up. NFL, full swing, KICK10 is the coupon code. Kick 10 for listeners of this podcast. Get $10 off anything at pregame.com with the coupon code KICK10. That is going to be the podcast, the European Soccer Betting Podcast, Episode 3. Coming off a double best bet winner, we try to make it 2-0 yet again. Thank you, Griffin Warner. 